You know, when we think about the Apostle Paul, we normally think of a man of unwavering faith, firm resolve, and and unshakable courage, which is all true, of course. But one virtue which may not come to mind as quickly as the others is Paul's humility, his willingness to abase himself for the sake of the gospel, that Christ may be made known. Paul's actions and and certainly his miraculous ministry could have easily gone to his head. It would have for most men. But in fact, Paul had a very humble view of himself. As you can see all throughout throughout his letters, he refers to himself as the, the least of the apostles, the least of the saints, the worst of sinners. We saw last week he called himself a servant of the Lord. In our text this morning, we see a prime example of Paul's humility through his desire to live at peace at all times with all people. Later, he would write to the believers in Rome, and he taught them the importance of living peacefully. In Romans 12, 18, we read, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And to the Ephesians, he wrote, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Don't quit trying to live at peace within the body of Christ, within the church, but also with all people at all times. As much as you are able, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably. In our passage in Acts, we can see his willingness to cooperate and compromise in order to keep the church from being torn over a sensitive issue. It's an example, I think, of of his love for the church and his passion to maintain its peace and unity. But then we'll also see at the end of this passage that we read, Paul's attempts to live at peace even with an angry mob. But we begin with Paul and his team arriving in Jerusalem in verse 17. And it says that the brothers received him gladly. And then the following day, Luke and Paul and the, and the team met with James and the rest of the elders so they could give them a report. And so first we see Paul living at peace with the spiritual authorities. Now, I'm going to make a change to the outline in your bulletin. We originally had three points, and I'm just using two. The first two are really one. So living at peace within the body of Christ by submitting to authorities. Living at peace within the body of Christ by submitting to your spiritual authority. And this goes from verse 17 through verse 26. You know, one of my joys of of living here in Olathe after growing up here is being able to reconnect, sometimes unexpectedly, with with old friends. Not that long ago, I I stopped by a coffee shop. I just was going to run in and and grab a cup of coffee to go and and get on my, my hurried way. But a, a friend that I've met at that coffee shop and become friends, uh, he stopped me. He said, hey, pastor. Uh, he, he doesn't call me. Jim. We both have the same first name. But he just called, hey, pastor, come here. I want to introduce you to somebody. And sitting at his table was a, was a man I didn't recognize. And he said, pastor, this is Chris. And uh, I, I said, hello. And, and then within just about a, a minute or less, it hit me. 
He said that this, this man is in, here in town because of his mom's funeral. Sitting across the table from him was a man that I knew, and it was his wife. And I thought, wait a minute, Chris, we went to high school together. We have not seen each other since our sophomore year in high school. And we were good, we were good friends. And we ended up having a, a wonderful time catching up with each other. Well, in Acts 21, it certainly hasn't been that long since Paul was in Jerusalem. But he's reconnecting with his friends. It was at least the fourth time that we know of that Paul made a journey to Jerusalem after his conversion. This time he met with James, who happens to be the, the brother, the younger brother of our Lord, another one of the sons of, of Mary and Joseph, who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And I think it's significant that, that Paul seeks him out, as well as the rest of the elders. He had been traveling all throughout Macedonia and the known world, collecting an offering for the believers who were suffering in Jerusalem. And he wanted so desperately to bring that back to them and present it to James and the elders of the church. But he also took advantage of the opportunity to get, and not in a, not in a bad way, but to take the opportunity to share a report with them of the amazing work that God was doing among the Gentiles. So in a very real sense, this is the Apostle Paul giving a report to the mother church, to the church that had begun it all and was spread now all over the world, the known world, proclaiming the gospel. And Paul has come back to make this report of God's amazing grace at work among the Gentiles. And even though Paul would routinely seek out a synagogue whenever he would enter a city, he knew that ultimately he was called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he understood and, and fully understood and taught extensively that the true church, the true body of Christ, the true chosen people of God is not limited to Jerusalem anymore. It's not even limited to physical Israel anymore. In fact, in Romans 9, Paul tells us that a true Jew is not born a Jew but is made one by the mercy of God. Just, just read Romans 9 for yourself. We'll read Romans next, next month as we go through our Bible reading plan. But read Romans 9, and you'll see that a true Jew, according to Paul, is one who has been made one by the mercy of God. In other words, God chose a people, initially centralized in Jerusalem, but He is adding Gentiles to His family uniting them under one head, our Lord Jesus. There's one church, one people of God, one body of Christ, one true Israel, those who profess Jesus Christ, scattered throughout the earth, no doubt. And so if an Israeli born in Jerusalem rejects the Messiah, he's not a true Jew. Some probably need to let that sink in a little bit and read Romans 9. But those of us born and raised in the Midwest, some of you born right here in Olathe, you are a true Jew if you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. You are truly a part of God's chosen people. Paul understood this. Paul understood that, that Israel now is made up of Gentiles adopted into the family, as well as the Jews who have accepted that Christ is the Messiah. 
We are a, a, a spattering all over the world. And Paul understood that. And he taught it plainly in his letters. But he's also obviously a very wise man who recognized the danger of disharmony within the church. And this reality of Gentiles being grafted in was threatening the harmony of the church. Paul knew he had a responsibility of submitting to the Jerusalem leaders. And so for the peace of the church, Paul met with James and the elders first. He presented the offering as a sign of unity, a sign that the church loves one another and cares for one another. And in verse 20, we're told that after they heard his report, they praised God. They rejoiced. And then they told Paul about God's amazing work in Jerusalem among the Jews as well. And then, then it spreads within the community also. Think about the, the practices that you've seen in a church which we would, um, or which would seem highly unusual to somebody that doesn't come from a Western culture, that doesn't come from America, practices that, you, we, that we normally take part in, that we do routinely, but is so different from other cultures and, and, and Christians around the world. There are things that we do in our Western Christian churches that are, a Christian in Asian Africa would never do. When I was a youth director at a, at a large church in St. Louis, I was walking through our complex, making sure it was dark at it was dark nighttime, making sure that all the lights were off before I left, forgetting that there was a Korean church that would use our building after we left. Well, I, I walked into this one room, meaning to go right through it to the next room, uh, make sure the lights were turned off in the gym and whatnot. And as I walked into this totally dark room, kind of in the middle, all of a sudden I hear all this moaning and murmuring all around me. And at first it was shocking, and then I realized, oh no, I've just walked into the middle of the Korean prayer meeting. Uh, could you imagine praying together? Not just one person praying, but everybody at once praying together uh, at one time, out loud, in total darkness. We have various customs, various practices. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. They're just different from each other. Or could you imagine not having a one-hour worship service? Well, you already know that we don't have a one-hour worship, but, but you, you know what I mean. Imagine having a three-hour worship service. Some of us experienced that on a mission trip to Jamaica, didn't we, years ago. Can you imagine? There's so many, so many uniquenesses of, of all the various ways, right? And that you, you know the point. Well, try to imagine the position of, that these Jews were in here in Acts. Throughout their lives, they were taught to keep the law of Moses. Now they follow Christ. So what happens to circumcision? What happens to Passover and, and all the other religious feasts that they grew up keeping? Are, these, are, these are things that they had always been a part of their worship of God. What should their attitudes now be as Christians? What was being said about Paul was that he was teaching the Jews to throw away their heritage. Maybe you've heard the old saying that a, a rumor doesn't have a leg to stand on, but it, it travels mighty fast. This was a rumor, false rumor about Paul that was spreading. 
because he had been with the Gentiles. It was recommended, not simply recommended, he was told by the elders, this is what you need to do. Since you had been among the Gentiles, you should go through a ceremony of purification. And you should also pay for the, the completion of the Nazarite vow that these four young men are, are doing among us. It's an opportunity for Paul to show that he respects the law of Moses for himself and for others, and he won't violate the gospel by doing so. It's an ingenious plan. Paul humbly and willfully submitted to his brothers for the sake of peace within the body and the spread of the gospel. To really get an idea of, of Paul's commitment to peace and, and the, the, the spread of the gospel, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So you have Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And listen to his commitment to peace as well as the spread of the gospel. Starting in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now, Paul clearly understands that God produces salvation. So don't get tripped up by, by Paul's language here. Paul knows who saves people, and it's not him. Uh, but he's the tool. He's the means that God will use. So I am free from all. I've made myself a servant of all, that I might win the more, more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. I think he's referring back to this example in Acts that happened to him. And then he continues, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And then to summarize it all, he says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul was willing to compromise on the trivial for the sake of the gospel. I've told you stories of my dad many times, and some of you experience him firsthand, his willingness to do just about anything for the sake of the gospel, that it would be remembered and heard. Well, what I don't know that I've shared that often uh, is that he did not retire until he was 85 years old. Uh, imagine working at your current job until you're 85 years old. Some of you, are, you, you think he's nuts. Well, it could be. But it was his commitment to the gospel. He knew that he was still able to preach. Now, in his final few years before retirement, he was pastoring a church of about 30 people. It was a pretty light load, and he knew that he could care for that many, and he could preach every week, and he loved it. He continued because of his commitment to the gospel. Even after he retired, he didn't quit. Some of you have sat in a class when he taught Sunday school. He also signed on as a volunteer with a, I think it's global media outreach, an online ministry where pastors or church leaders can volunteer to answer people's questions about faith all over the world. He continued to share the gospel all over the world, even up to almost, well, close to 90. And that, so that brings us then, lastly, with Paul. He was a living example, living at peace 
with those within the body by his willingness to submit to the spiritual authorities. But then also he was living at peace with those on the outside by submitting to God. When Paul and these four men went to the temple to complete their offering after seven days, they were seen by some of the Jews who turned the entire crowd against them. It had been over 20 years since Paul had lived in Jerusalem, and he only visited there occasionally, maybe four or five times that we know of. The average Jew on the street, though probably aware of this treasonous blasphemer, probably wouldn't have recognized him. But, the man, but this was the, the Feast of Pentecost. And Jews from all over the world would make their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, to the holy city. And some Jews would recognize him. We have an example. These probably from Ephesus because they recognized Trophimus, who was from Ephesus. And if you know the story in Acts, you know that Paul barely escaped Ephesus because they wanted a stoning. So here they are. Here he is. The scene in the temple area was mayhem. But once again, we see that God is still in control. And he protected his servant. It was not yet his time. Paul would die as a martyr, but not yet. Which, by the way, it should encourage us as well. Our days are totally in his hands. Before a single one of them came to be, he already had them numbered. We should be living with confidence. There's nothing that this world can do to interfere with God's plans for us. Paul understood that. Paul lives without fear in spite of the danger and the beatings that he knew he would receive no matter where he went. Because he knew that for him to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Well, God was not going to bring him home just yet. As you know, as we read, the soldiers swept in. They rescued Paul, literally having to carry him away from the murderous crowd who was shouting, away with him, just like the, the crowds did with Christ. But then a remarkable thing happened. Paul stops the procession. And he asked the leader, can I... Will you please grant me permission to speak to the crowd? It's amazing to me that Paul would do this since he had just received a beating from these people. They're trying to kill him. What would cause this bleeding apostle to ask permission to speak to that crowd? I would rather just get me away from them. I don't ever want to see them again. And Paul says, please stop. May I speak to them? What would cause that? Well, in Romans 9, Paul's heart is revealed. In Romans 9, verse 3, Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had a deep passion for the Jewish people, his own people the desire even to be condemned by God for their sake, that they may be saved by the blood of Christ. If it possible, condemn me and save them. Now, we don't have time, obviously, to consider Paul's statement. It's 
chapter 22. You read it this past week if you're participating in the reading through the Bible. But I want you to see Paul's passion for those who were lost, even for those who were trying to kill him. Every conflict we face is an opportunity for us to display Christ-like character. It's an opportunity to, to live the gospel and to live at peace with everyone. Again, I point you back to Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But I want you to turn back to Romans 12 because I want you to see the context in which Paul makes that statement. Romans 12, that verse is in verse 18, but actually we want to start in verse 14. Look at the, look at the context in which Paul makes this statement. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Leave and live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By, do, by do, so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head, which will simply mean it will bring shame to him. Do not overcome evil. By, do not over, be, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here in Acts, we find the Apostle Paul putting into practice what he taught others. He's standing on the steps of the barracks in front of the crowd that just tried to kill him, literally beating him, needing to be rescued before he was dead. And he speaks with compassion with a hope that they too would repent and believe. We live in harmony with one another and at peace with one another if we live out the gospel. Look, not everyone is going to want to be at peace with you. But as far as it depends on you, you must seek peace. You must promote peace especially within the body of Christ. So we've seen through the example of Paul the importance of, of living at peace within the body by submitting to the spiritual authorities of that body and then within also the world with everyone. But I must go beyond our text and remind you, a little bit beyond our text, and remind you that the only way to live at peace with others is to have peace in your own heart. And Paul was certainly at peace in his own heart. If, for example, you, you, you expect to have peace in your, own, in your heart because you want the government to enact stronger laws to protect us from events like what just happened this past week at Union Station, if that's your hope for peace, then you're going to be sadly disappointed. But I wholeheartedly, absolutely agree that God grants kings and rulers to protect us, to promote peace, to bear the sword. But our government that God has established is vastly different than the Roman government that God established. 
vastly different from Moscow and Beijing and pick the city. If our hope for peace is relying upon a human government, we're going to be disappointed. The only way for anyone to be at peace with others is to be at peace in our own heart. And the only way for anyone to have true peace in their own heart is to be at peace with God. As long as man lives without the forgiveness of sin, without being made at peace with God, he will not be able to have true, lasting peace. For as long as you are at at peace with your own sin, you're going to be at odds with others, and more importantly, at odds with God. We must simply admit our own sin. Acknowledge our own in the, in the various ways that we have in ourselves offended the living God. And believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord and Savior. By trusting in Him, He grants you peace within. Gives you peace in your own heart because you've, made, you've been made at peace with God. And that equips you than to live at peace with others. Yes, as society continues to degenerate, continues to fail more and more, we will need more laws to control and to execute justice. There's no question that some things change in a culture as a culture continues to die. But what is truly needed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what brings transformation. That's what changes a city. That's what changes a community. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, and he will grant you peace. 